0: From 88.7 FM, WXDU Durham, and available via podcast on the World Wide Web, this is Shooting the Bull, your weekly survey of what's happening in the Bull City, brought to you by the voices of the Durham blogosphere. The opinions expressed on this program belong to the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect those of WXDU or Duke University. Good evening, folks. I'm Kevin Davis with BullCityRising.com. I'm Barry Reagan. I write at DependableErection.Blogspot.com. Welcome to Shooting the Ball. Another edition and another date that I can't remember. Today is Thursday, May 21st, I think it's the right?
1: 21st, Barry. And I think right. it's it's just about 1 year since we
0: premiered the show. I believe this this would count as We either did it on the 18th or the 22nd last year. Right, it was the beginning of it was the beginning of summer. Summer session started a little earlier this year, I think. Um, we've been in the summer schedule for uh, two or or three uh, or three weeks, but um, hey, uh, thank you all for sticking with us for the last uh, for the last year, and uh, we hope uh, we hope that things work out, and we're still here um, talking about uh, about Durham, talking about blogging um, a year from now.
1: And, uh, and uh, yes, thank you for listening. Uh, whether you listen on the air or the podcast, we appreciate it, and uh, always look forward to hearing your ideas and thoughts. Uh, both of our email addresses are on the web. You feel free to, to write us and let us know what you'd like to hear on yeah, the show. We
0: actually, we actually do have um, uh, an email. Address for the show. When's the last time we checked that, Barry? Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I have nine email addresses. You can, also try, addresses. You can also try postal list, but,
1: mail. Postal mail would probably be faster, uh, I think.
0: Uh, post, post office box 102, uh, Durham, North Carolina, 27702. Yeah, we have you're a, not joking about that. No, I'm not joking you about You really that. have a post I just, office I just box. renewed the post office box uh, last night. Is that a radio show post office it's, box? It's the radio show post office box. Shooting shooting the ball at post office box 102, Durham, North Carolina, 27702. I am. I am.
1: I'm speechless for <laughs> for her rare I, I time. I did. I did.
0: Uh, I did mention that to you when I took the when I took the box out. But we haven't. We have <laughs> We haven't talked about it very much. I never saw half the bill, so you this know, is a good thing. Um, uh, well, I've been. I've been paying the bill. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. You know. Do I, we get uh, any mail in our mailbox? Um, I get uh, um, about every semester. I get the uh, Durham uh, Technical Community College uh, calendar. I think they send the that schedule. to everyone in Durham. All right, I get. Um, I get the Durham Arts Cal- Council. Calendar. I get uh, I get a lot of stuff there, but hopefully we'll get your um, we'll get your letters too. Now that we're going to start talking about uh, about the post office box uh, a little bit more, or uh, uh if you want to uh, if you want to email uh, us. Um, so Kevin, um, you spent a lot of time in the last week doing what uh, what what once upon a time was the mainstream journalists the 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 the, the mainstream media's job, and that is analyzing. The proposed budget from Durham Public School, and people—people I know all over the place—have been coming up to me and saying, "Hey, did you read that? Did you read that thing in in Kevin's? Did you read that thing in Bull City Rising about the school board budget? Tell me about—tell me about the budget. You know, tell the listeners um, what you found and and what you think are the are the highlights and the lowlights."
1: Well, you know, Barry, there's a, there's a few million dollar gap between where the county would like the school budget to come in for next year uh, and where DPS would like it to come in. The district initially started with a $650,000 offered reduction in the budget uh, and uh, thought that that was essential in terms of the local funding. Local funding is about $100 million out of the total budget. They get you know, multiple times more of that in, in state and federal funds and mike ruffin came back and said you know we're thinking about a two and a half percent cut about two and a half million dollars uh, sorry a little under two percent cut uh that would actually be far less than most county departments are taking uh the school board then came back at the the evening when they were voting on the superintendent's budget and said um, you know no we actually are going to want an increase of uh of a couple of million dollars over where we were so <clears throat> and, and frankly i hope barry that there's more digging into the budget and that we, we that we see more of uh, journalists locally the newspapers etc digging in to look at this because the data are at least data to take a, a really big longitudinal look are available through the Department of Public Instruction on their website the state maintains statistics and <clears throat> what these statistics essentially showed was that the student teacher ratio in Durham has been fairly flat over the last 10 years and in fact for positions like uh, guidance counselors media center uh, specialists uh, uh, psychologists, these kind of positions, there's actually been a decline in those positions. But so there see- are
0: fewer there are fewer people staffing those positions, so the ratio of, of, say, school psychologists to students has gotten worse.
1: Well, the ratio of right. what's called non-instructional support right. to students. Right. But on the flip side, uh, the ratios for administrators to students, uh, we have far more administrators now, relatively speaking, than we did.
0: Now by administrators, are we talking about principals, assistant principals, or are we talking about central office personnel?
1: Uh, in general you 've seen an increase, but most of the of the driven increase has been outside of the category of, of folks like principals so a lot of it has been central central administration and, and there 's more that we need to know about these numbers because some of it is is uh, uh, very likely uh, to do with uh, technology. Uh, you have a growth in the Latino population you 've had uh, no child left behind all this need for this massive testing and uh, and you now have central administrations planning curricula in a way that used to be done at the teacher or principal level. So are, not to say that it's it's all been, or any of it's been, fluff or waste. And, that, and that's one of the things I've I've tried to convey about the article. It's not so much that it's a value judgment that the money isn't needed. And I think there are those who'd like to jump to that conclusion. It's more that it, what I was afraid of, Barry, was it seemed like the argument was going down this route of, you know, please, county, you know, raise our taxes, spend more money because we have to preserve the teachers, when in reality, when you look, the number of locally funded teachers has actually been on the decline in the last 10 years, about 20% fewer uh, locally funded teacher positions than there were uh, uh, 10 years ago, despite a roughly 12% increase in uh, student population. Uh, and you've seen more of the growth in other areas. What I really would just like to, to see is a better examination by both the county and the school board, and in, in a better explanation of where the funds are going.
0: Well, I'm I'm uh, hearing that your uh, report is going to get people thinking about about that. I mean, like I said, people I, I'm hearing people talking about it, and it's it's a different situation than we have had in the past, where the budget goes out. Um, there's an article in the newspaper on uh, on you know top line um you know okay well this is what the budget says and nobody really delves into it so that's a that's an incredible service and you know just um i mean i don't have a i don't have a kid in the school system anymore and i don't pay a whole lot of attention um to to what's going on at dps quite frankly um so uh and i know that that you don't have any kids in the system so i i really respect and appreciate that um that you've taken the time to do this when it doesn't you know a a lot of people would say it doesn't affect you personally
1: you know i think i think it affects all of us i mean we if we don't have if we don't have success in education you know we, we don't have a strong community but and, there
0: are but there are a lot of people in in the community who don't necessarily see it that uh, well you know so. you,
1: you get that in, in any city and and realistically to be honest i, I think if you want to improve educational outcomes it starts way outside the schools you know I, the, if you look at sociological research you need to have intact two-parent families and you need to have diversity in schools at a true socioeconomic level. And, and uh, we, we, in society in general, in Durham in particular, we don't do a lot to, to push that.
0: Right, right. Um, I wanted to talk briefly before we, uh, we, before we bring our guest to the, to the microphone about a conversation that uh, I've been uh, involved in um, this week on the uh, Partners Against Crime District 2 list. Uh, last week, um, a, a notice slipped in in the, in the minutes. Of, uh, of the last Partners Against Crime meeting saying, um, uh, well, if you want to order a bus shelter, call Durham One Call. <laughs> this is just and, tailor-made for you, Barry. Um, it took me about 40 seconds. <laughs> it took me about 40 seconds to make that call to Durham One Call and say, hey, I'd like to order some bus shelters. And, uh, They're the
1: rage in outdoor entertaining.
0: Well, the reason why the reason why I took forty seconds is I went to the Durham One Call website, you know, one call and the pull down menu did not have a order bus shelters. So I, I, I called. Um, they were not quite able to process um, the, the bus shelter request either. Uh, and I will be following up tomorrow to see if I've actually gotten a tracking number on this. But the good news that came out of this, um, City Council Member uh, Mike Woodard um, was following this, the discussion and let us know that, um, that using uh, federal stimulus dollars, uh, the city is going to be building 20 new state-of-the-art bus shelters, um, including solar power. Um, So I assume that that means that they will at some point be ready to actually carry information about which bus is coming next uh, and how long you're going to be waiting for that bus. Well, there actually
1: are some of these uh, federal stimulus dollars towards transportation. We found out about a month ago uh, in the Herald Sun and, and other reports that some of that will go to intelligent transportation tracking systems to actually know where bus status are. And I'm sure, Barry, you expect that we're using the same system across the triangle for bus tracking.
0: I, you've lived. How long have you lived uh, in Durham, Barry? Sixteen years. Come on, I would not, not a make question. that assumption. You ding, saw, you ding, saw ding, that very classic episode of uh, of The Odd Couple, right? You know what happens Barry, when you... Barry, you're far older than I am. <laughs> you know what happens when you assume. Ah! Right? okay. I thought that no. came from my ninth grade science teacher. The I, first place I, I, I saw it was on, was on The Odd Couple in, uh, in 1968. Uh, Felix and... Uh, um, uh, I can't even remember the other guy's name. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tempted
1: to say uh, on subject, Barry, that I think that there are... If you take... If N represents the number of bus systems in the triangle, I'm fairly certain that the number of intelligent transportation systems in the triangle Equals is N, N plus, plus one. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's
0: only slightly exaggerating the uh, I don't think you're exaggerating at all. Anyway, um, another thing that came out of this uh, this conversation is that there is a website um, at DurhamNC.gov slash departments slash manager slash stimulus.cfm where you can track the projects that Durham has applied for um, and is planning to spend stimulus dollars on and see how they're going uh, and how they're being spent. Hopefully they'll spend them better than, say, the 1996 bond um, funds, uh, some of which still have not uh-huh. been spent, um, and and we'll see, unfortunately, I was not able to find the bus shelters under the transportation <laughs> section. Um, I can so, send you the spreadsheet. So, uh, well, that, that'd that be awesome, and, and publish it uh, publish it on your blog.
1: You know, since we are talking about budget, and we'll, we'll get uh, your guest, Steve Graff, on in a second, but uh, we had uh, Tom Bonfield, the city manager, on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Tom was extremely cool and calm about the budget, you know, despite this being a tough year. Despite teasing that there would be layoffs, which the news of which followed a few days later, uh, and and I think this really speaks Barry to how he has approached differently the job of managing managing a city. You had fifty plus or so people turning out to propo- to uh, oppose the layoffs of thirty five staff members and in, in total cut of over one hundred and ten positions. And <clears throat> despite this being put out there, you know, people doing silent protest, walking out, you had every council member down to Cora McFadden, who herself has always been a supporter of, of city staff, has a diversity award named after her, um, is someone who has uh, came from the ranks, retired as a city employee. The last of them walked out as she basically told the manager, this is terrific, you've done a great job with this budget. And it's sort of one of those game over moments. But I think it's also one of those those times that has sort of shown that we really have uh, a city manager in who has the the experience and the chops. Whether you agree or disagree with the policies, they know how to work uh, a council. They know understand what the boundaries are, and it looks like this will be an extremely smooth budget season.
0: And uh, yeah, there are no training wheels um, this this time around <laughs> with, uh, with 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 Tom with Tom Bonfield. Um, you're listening to Shooting the Bull. I'm Barry Reagan. I'm Kevin Davis. Our guest tonight is uh, is a blogger, uh, a new blogger in town. Steve Graf writes um, writes the blog, gearfarmhouse.blogspot.com. Steve, welcome to Shooting the Bull. I wanted to ask you to tell the Gear Farmhouse story. I mean, I know a little bit about this story, and I think it's a wonderful story, and, and I'm hoping you can share it with our listeners.
2: Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um there's so much that I don't know about the house, so I can really only share you know what little I do but know, but I think it is kind of fascinating. Um, my wife and I, Susan, had moved here from California uh, almost about four years ago, and a year previous we'd come out here looking for a house. Um, we had seen this specific house, the Gear Farm House, up on the Preservation Durham website and thought it looked really neat. They had done a great um, remodel of it or refurbishment, <coughs> um, refinished the floors, sparkling, clean, bright. Um, had visited it and kind of liked it, and we kind of looked at another house as well, but we ended up uh, making an offer on it, and as we were uh, on our way back to California, I think we were in, like, Phoenix, Arizona, we got a call from our realtor and said they accepted the offer, and we were ecstatic because we had been trying to buy a house in California, and if you know anything about <laughs> California real estate, Especially half a million gets you nothing, exactly, about four <laughs> years ago, yeah, I think we had actually put an offer on a house in San Jose, California, 1,200 square foot, old Victorian termite infested toilet on the back porch I kid you not 479 we were rejected so that tells you something and that was the 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 defining moment that we said we got to get the heck out of here so um, anyway uh, there was a group of folks who had um, decided to renovate the house it had been offered through preservation Durham for some time to try to get a contract on it to you know to, to sell it and try to get somebody to come in and renovate it and that just didn't work for whatever reason so there's a group of uh, six neighbors in my neighborhood, which is Old North Durham, who decided, we got to do something about this. If we don't, it's going to get torn down. And it's an old house. Um, we believe it dates back to 1865.
1: In fact, one of the, the oldest uh, structures in Durham in terms of residential, correct?
2: That is what I've been told. Um, I've heard that it is the oldest house in the Old North Durham neighborhood and may, in fact, be the oldest occupied farmhouse. I'm not sure if that's the city or the county, but it's old. It's old. Um, Speaking of age, um, we had uh, had John Compton over from Preservation Durham at one point, and he had indicated that there was some some beams down in the basement that the way that they're cut or constructed or the way they're put together indicates the house may in fact be older than that. Mm. But we would need to have a specialist come in to really, you know, who knows what they're talking about, to look at it and see. So maybe someday we'll do that. But in any case, we, we bought the house. It had been pretty much, you know, all kind of modernized. You know, they did a lot of electrical work, plumbing. Um, Refinish the floors, and it was kind of it was in moving condition with a few minor exceptions. Um, and beginning like last year, I started to start to uh, begin to look into the history of the house and figure out okay, how old really is it? Because wh- what I wanted to do, or what I want to do, is to get a um, a plaque from Preservation Durham that indicates you know this is how old the house the house is, and this is who initially <coughs> lived there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then all of a sudden, the more I start digging. I get little tidbits of information, but then I get five more questions with each of those. So, um, like we know, it's referred to as being the Gear far home, Farmhouse, but they don't know which Gear lived there. Um, I think it's probably a Fred C. Gear, um, who's also referred to as in his um, FC Gear in a lot of the historic record, what little there is of it. Um, but there's also his father, Jesse Gear. And in some of the old, old maps that you can find at the uh, the Duke Archives, um, You can see places where it's referred to as like the Gear Homestead or the FC Gear Hmm. Farmhouse and the Jesse Gear Farmhouse.
1: And is is the house actually on its original site, Steve, or was it
2: it moved over the years? Excellent question. Uh, It is not on its original site. It is believed to have been moved at least once. Hmm. Um, We don't know exactly where it was moved from, but we believe it was moved in 1923 to its current location right at the corner of uh, Trinity and Rosetta. And we think it was moved from the current location of the American Legion.
1: Hmm.
2: Not certain about that. Um, there's also a possibility it may have moved from over the location near the uh, the intersection of Avondale and the railroad tracks, the Duke Belt Line. Hmm. That's another possibility. Now it's possible that it may have actually been moved twice, once from the railroad tracks to the American Legion, then again later hmm. on. So another one of
0: those mysteries I need to dig into. I want to backtrack a second, Steve, because I think you glossed over, at least for me, what is, what is one of the most interesting parts here. And, and that is, so, so the house was listed, and Preservation Durham was trying, to, was trying to help sell it because it's an old house, because it was a project, and because if it didn't sell, it was in serious danger of being demolished, like so many of our, of our old structures were. And a half a dozen residents of the neighborhood decided that they couldn't let that happen and they didn't and they bought the house themselves and and they fixed it up and if there's a durham angle to this story to me at least from my perspective that's the durham angle i don't i don't know another place where people would do that i'm not saying that there aren't any other places where people do things like that but i don't know them and i have never uh, encountered uh, a situation where people would would do something like that and i that, that's the part. Of it. And I know, I know most of those people. You know, I know most of those half dozen people. And, and, and it's just uh, it's amazing what they've, uh, what they've managed to do. And, and I, I hope you could you know, just talk a little bit about that, what it's like to live in, in that neighborhood and know the people who saved that house.
2: That is a really good point. It really is quite amazing that you get a, a group of different individuals, you know, six in total, that care so much about retaining the history of Durham and of our neighborhood, of old North Durham, that they, they put their money up. And they say, we're going to buy this house. And then they're going to spend a ton of money more to take and renovate it and stabilize it. And so, in such, to, so it's to such a condition that it can actually be um, sold. So that's really, I mean, that's kind of like the uh, kind of a neighbor, neighborhood hero type of act on their behalf or on their part, rather. So, I mean, if they hadn't done that, would I have moved to Durham? I don't know. It's a really good question. That, that house is what attracted us to Durham. And while we looked at other houses, that was the one we ended up buying maybe we would have bought another house we had actually looked at some of you know kind of some of the subdivisions in southern Durham maybe we would have gone there maybe we wouldn't have liked it there it's you know we love where we're at right now mm. it's a very vibrant community you know Old North Durham is very active and becoming more active as time goes on um, I remember for example the um, a previous neighbor uh, who had uh, knew we had lived in, or moved into the neighborhood and he came over walked over with his dog just to say hey welcome to the neighborhood is there anything I can help you with and I remember uh, one of the other neighbors, actually one of the six, Tom Trantsew, who would come over and said, hey, do you need help? I said, yeah, actually I need help you know, moving this, uh, this uh, dishwasher, or the, rather this um, clothes washer and dryer down into the basement, and he helped me. Where else are you gonna find that? Yeah, there are a lot of other places you can find that, but I think <laughs> from where I came from, from California, from the San Jose area, where it's very transient. People are moving in and out all the time. And we, over the course of the 30 years I lived there, really lost touch with a lot of the neighbors and, and didn't really get to know the new neighbors. So it was, it was uh, quite a stark difference.
1: This has been one of the things, Steve. I've always just found fascinating about Durham, and I've talked about it in some situations as this benign neglect. You have a lot of people who move here from larger cities. My wife and I did as well, and you know, kind of gravitate towards the Carries and the Raleigh's and the more traditional places to live. And I think that there's just something about Durham that attracts people who, you know, not and certainly not any better people, but people who are just maybe more more people, community oriented. I don't know, I'd never be able to put my finger on exactly what it is, but I feel like there's a, there's a spirit you get in Durham that I know has made it just really exciting uh, as a place for us to live.
2: That's a really um, interesting you mention that because really before I moved her, I wasn't that way at all. I wasn't involved, I wasn't active. I, you know, part of it was you, you live in a subdivision that's very kind of safe and clean and kind of sterile. And you move here and you see so many things, so many problems, really, so many issues that need to be dealt with, such as you know, myself, I, I've gotten involved in Animal Protection Society, volunteering there for almost about two years now. And that was kind of my first step into doing that. And then I got involved with the Neighborhood Association becoming the traffic chair back in January. And in fact, on Monday, I was elected president of our Neighborhood Association. So um, stepping up to the plate again, Partially because nobody else would do it, but also because I have lots of ideas for um, you know for ways that we can improve our neighborhood, and make it more active, make it more vibrant, make it a more livable, wonderful place, even more so than it is today.
0: Well, con- well congratulations on uh, on on that, Steve. Uh, I wanted to ask you a bit um, about the blog. Now, you lived in the house for a number of years, but you just started writing the blog earlier this year, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'm I'm assuming that suddenly you had like you know just. Endless amounts of free time on your on your hand, and you decided to, to spend that writing um, writing the, the blog. But um, t- tell me tell me uh, you know you're, you're digging through the history of the house, and, and you're sharing um, things that you find uh, on, on occasion on the blog. What's what's been the most interesting tidbit that you've discovered about this this 140 year old house that um, that you know in, in in the you know in the months that you've been uh, writing the blog? Well,
2: it, it, and I have blogged a, a little bit about a recent discovery where I had um, there, there was a resident, of, kind of a somewhat famous resident of the house, named Ruby Plank, and she was affectionately referred to as being Mom by um, people who would kind of hang out at the house. And just I believe it was about two weeks ago, her granddaughter contacted me via the blog. She had been searching for something and came across my blog and said, "Hey, I, I know that house. I lived there, and I lived there up until about 2000 when her her mm-hmm. grandmother Ruby was um, taken out to you know to like a rest home." And she just, one of her questions was, have you had anything interesting happen in the house? <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant, but I thought, okay, I need to like pursue this further. And I said, actually we did. And I, I used to see big blinking lights on the hallway, but there's no electrical outlets out there. There's one ceiling fixture. And it went away after a few days. My wife never saw it and she doesn't like when I mention it because it <laughs> freaks her out. But um, she mentioned that actually she had had some kind of freaky experiences there as well and she had stayed in a back bedroom uh, when her sister was born, I believe it was, and um, she indicated that one time she was woken up in the middle of the night and she heard some weird voices. And it, it was unintelligible, but it really freaked her out and scared her, and she, from that day forward, was really freaked out. And she indicated somebody else who had stayed in the room experienced something similar. I had never experienced this, and nobody who stayed in that room visiting us (laughs) has experienced that, but um, I was just in California last week. Just
0: wait. Just wait, maybe.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I haven't slept in that room myself, so who knows? But in, uh, when I was in California last week, visiting family, um, my nieces and nephews who had stayed there in that room, I was you know, telling them about this story, and they all kind of freaked out. We're never coming to visit your house again. <laughs> That's kind so. of the crazy,
0: crazy haunted house in North Carolina. Yeah, I love, I love, I love ghost stories. You know, um, but but nothing. I mean, nothing untoward. There's no. there's there's no unsolved crime you know in the history of this house or anything like that um to to cause the supernatural spirits to 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 come by it's just you know i mean it's just an old house right
2: just an old house as far as we know who knows what i'll dig up when i keep on researching it there's so much history left to to dig up i'll have to end up going to orange county to to keep on digging it because it's it was in orange county before the foundation of durham so it's 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 an amazing amount of history that's there and a lot of mysteries that still still to be solved.
1: Now, Steve, one of the things that you you write about on your blog has been, one one of the crusades you've taken on around your your neighborhood has been trash, things you find on the ground, sort of a sense of trying to to see people respect the neighborhood. And it's a neighborhood that, as you mentioned, is in transition. Um, a neighborhood that has, uh, has had more challenges in that area than maybe other parts of Durham. What's been your philosophy? Are you hoping that people will see that and, and think differently? Or are you hoping to talk to people when they you know, leave messes behind after a, after a party or a picnic? Or What's, what's the goal?
2: I think mostly I, I try to lead by example in that case. Yeah, I, I complain about it on my blog. I document some of the things I find. Um, but mostly what I've tried to do is you, know, you can complain, complain about it all you want, but that's not going to change it necessarily. So I just go out mostly every week pick up trash in the neighborhood and wherever i find it i'm never going to be able to pick up the entire neighborhood and i have a hard time picking up just the few blocks around my house but i have had some individuals stop stop their car right in the middle of the road lean out the window and say hey thanks so much and boy that makes such a difference right then i just want to keep on going for three or four more hours and pick up the entire neighborhood so it's 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 very rewarding just something as simple as a just thank you It, it makes all the difference i 'd
0: I'd personally like to get some of those things when i 'm out there in, uh, you know in, in in my neighborhood picking up uh, picking up the trash as well I know one of the things that my wife has said uh, about living in Durham is that she has never um, lived in a place where spending so much of her free time you know picking up other people 's trash was was part of her social life and and it's it's uh, it, it, it is remarkable and I don't I don't know what to do you know about it. I mean I certainly also try to try to lead by example. We um, do keep Durham beautiful down on our block um, every uh, every every three or four months uh, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to make you know to make that much of a difference and I, I don't know what the deal is.
2: That, that's a good you know, good point. I mean certainly thank you for doing your part and I think if we get more people to do their part just a little bit, it would make all the difference but from one thing I I was recently told um, by a neighbor who's lived in the the neighborhood um, for about 20 years now is that um, she had talked to some folks who had participated in a neighborhood cleanup back um, just about two weeks ago in our neighborhood and what they had found is that there actually is less trash this time around than there has been in years past so it's it's hopefully that's an upward indicator that things are in fact getting better people are caring more about the city
0: to live in. Sure. Yeah, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about the the traffic. Um, you said you're you're the chair of the traffic committee for um, for your neighborhood association, and we're mostly talking about uh, Roxborough and Mangum Street, which uh, which uh, run through um, through Old North Durham, and also Trinity Avenue, Gear Gear Street, a um, couple of the cross streets there. Are you are you making any headway? Have you made any headway with the city in getting them to say enforce? traffic laws and uh, seeing the police department actually pull people over for speeding in your neighborhood once in a while it's been um,
2: progress has been slow and, and kinda of sporadic uh, for a while there we we did have some neighbors complain loudly and frequently to the police and to the city about um, speeding along Trinity and we did for almost two months we had police officers marked undermarked, marked sometimes on motorcycles out there parked alongside the road pulling people over I don't know how much of an impact it's made, because they've since disappeared and gone over to do whatever else they need to do, but they were there doing it for a while, and I appreciate that. I'd like to see more of it, though, throughout the city, not just in our neighborhood. I'm sure in your neighborhood as well.
1: Yeah. It's, it, it is tricky, and we, we've gotten, I don't, uh, City Manager Bonfield was very skeptical about doing these things as a, you know, relative to other police needs, and uh, in our neighborhood, you know, we've, had, we've had senior DPD officials laugh at us when we ask about traffic enforcement. There's this sense that you know, Duke and Gregson and streets like that are just sort of doomed to traffic, but I, I think Barry and I both subscribe to this philosophy that, uh, as our fellow blogger Michael Bacon talks about, the sense of the broken windows theory. And if you start by targeting lifestyle type of issues and, and things that make it a, a, a community with a high quality of life, then you attract residents who care about that, and you, know, you reduce crime, you reduce other negative influences in the area.
0: Yeah, the short, the short statement of that is that uh, traffic violations are mobile broken windows, is, is, is what it is. And if you, if you deal with them the same way that you deal with real broken windows, uh, then you know, it seems to make sense that you would have similar D- does
1: the city deal with broken windows
0: theoretically uh, I, I was under the <laughs> how long have you been here barry 16 years <laughs> i was under the impression that that the city of durham had embraced the broken windows theory of community policing and community um uh uplifting upbuilding, as uh, as as, uh, as as the phrase goes in uh, in durham but uh you know we'll see i mean 16 years isn't long enough um I, I assume the next disc jockey is coming in because it is like 30 seconds before eight o'clock and our time once again has run out. Steve Graff, the blogger behind gearfarmhouse.blogspot.com, has been our guest tonight, and it's been a pleasure talking with you, Steve. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks,
1: folks, for listening to us on uh, on shooting the bull this week. I, I just want to uh, say a special uh, thank you to my wife for surviving ten years of marriage with me tonight. We are—I'm uh, not staying to DJ anything, Barry, because we have reservations at uh, at a restaurant and are, are uh, heading out for dinner. But uh, thank you, dear, wherever you are.
0: Congratulations on uh, on ten years of marriage, Kevin. That's uh, that's quite an achievement. I'm Barry Reagan. I write at DependableErection.blogspot.com. The show is Shooting the Bull. The station is WXDU Durham.
1: Have a good week, folks.